Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. doing this month ella i'm doing not bad i'm uh, good yes i have many feelings um about mm-hmm. the world <laughs> however yep. i'm going to set that aside and concentrate and pull all my energies and attention on talking about this this particular special episode and particular special person that we're dedicating this episode to the sadly late but absolutely great Ennio Morricone, the Italian maestro who died a little bit earlier this year. He has left us with over 400 scores for TV and film, and most of them, frankly, amazing. And today, you and I are very happy to talk about what I think are probably two of his best, The Mission and The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. The Mission being from 1986, Good, Bad and The Ugly, 20 years earlier, 1966. I, I don't, I hate putting you on the spot, but um, were there any other particular Morricone scores that you were like, oh, wish, wish we could have talked about them? Because there's so many good there ones. There are. I mean, I first want to kind of touch on on like how I got introduced to Ennio Morricone, just mm. because it's strange how he's been so prolific and he's been around for so many decades with such a vast collection of amazing, beautiful pieces that I've always heard about mm. of him. However, he was one of those composers for me where... There was a lot of iconic pieces from him that at the time when I was young, because Shazam, YouTube, Spotify weren't available, I'd always be like, who is hmm. this? What is this? But right. aside from the good, the bad, and the other, like those famous um, tracks. Hmm. But the first track that I got introduced to was actually from um, Magdalena called Chimia. Okay. Um, that was my first introduction to Ennio Morricone. And it was on from one of those like, classical chill out compilation cds <laughs> yes, yes um, sure. where they had moments of love by arts of art of noise who and dudley was one half of that avant-garde synth group and okay. so i just remember hearing that piece at the time in my life like there was some things going on that having listened to that has kind of left an association with it, whereby whenever I hear it, it really triggers me. And oh, wow. to the okay. point like, it, I, it, it makes me cry. And the, it's, it, there's something about it, you know, it's so emotive and beautifully crafted, even with the outdated drum sequence. And the melodies are just so simple. And I think it's the simplicity that really kind of dug deep into me. I think alongside with what was going on with in my personal life at that time um how old were you when this happened about like eight or nine yeah i just okay. remember wow that's it, quite a memory that it can it can really drag you back mm, that far i just remember like sitting listening to that li- album and obviously whatever was going on in the background you know which wasn't particularly a nice thing um 
mm-hmm. then it was there was an also another association that I have is to do with my my father who passed away mm-hmm. when I was 16 so there's a secondary association that triggers that whenever I hear it for some reason I think of him oh but again when I heard this music I didn't know it was an Ennio Morricone so I kind of discovered Ennio Morricone more so through Quentin Tarantino Okay, that's probably fairly common for our age and younger, yeah. I, would, I would say. And so, and just his, just the Quinton's ability to have selected certain tracks from his amazing sort of collection and to mm. kind of use snippets to dictate exactly the tone of the scene that he was going for. Like there's one in particular that I absolutely love and it's from Kill Bill and it's the mm-hmm. Navajo, uh, Navajo Joe? Navajo Joe. Navajo yeah. Joe, yep. And I love that. I just think the way even, I like the snippet that they used in the Kill Bill movie, but then when you hear it on its own, the track, just as it starts and you hear this like tribal, amazing wild vocals along with that electric guitar motif and drum rhythms. And it's something that I then kind of, noticed and really enjoyed um, and appreciated mm. of what Ono Murakoni was able to do is he somehow in certain compositions he the way he programs or creates drum rhythms they make he makes them very melodic in their cadences but it's very visible in this particular track for me there's just something that there's a lot of movement and it's the use of the voice is just so unusual so when it came to listening and watching the mission, again, mm. I didn't know that it was Enno Morricone because for some reason I think I already I felt like I already knew that he, I already heard this music before. For some reason, it reminded me of The Lion King. Ah, yeah, that's good. That's a good shout. It does sound a lot like. Yeah, the Lion so King. I would not be surprised if like Hans Zimmer kind of ripped it off a little bit because it really did. It, when I was listening to it, I was just like, oh, I can just see like the peripherals and the beautiful landscapes of the of Africa and like you know Simba being lifted I, I swear they must have used the soundtrack for the trailers of some sort somehow because it just felt and sounded far too familiar and then when I realized that it was Murakami I was just like oh well that is that's amazing so shall we talk about rounds having covered off so, a lot yes. of Enio because <laughs> we, we've got a lot of good music to get to um, f- round one, we'll be talking about the main theme for each of these films. Round two, Arrivals. Round three, Tension and Combat. Round four, Eulogies. And then round five, we'll be talking about Ennio's legacy. And before we move on, if you like what you hear here, the absolute best thing you can do to help us is to tell your friends. And the second best thing you can do is to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on an episode, even if we miss a month again. <laughs> and maybe even leave a nice review and help us get the word out. Oh, and spoiler alert. These films are like 50 and 70 years old. So if you haven't seen the films, shame on you. But uh, we will definitely be talking about the endings. So, you know. Consider watching them. They are pretty good films. A little heavy. But, you know, see how we go. All right. Round one. Main title. We're going to start off with The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And, I mean, you've been hearing this in your head since the moment you 
clicked on this ah! podcast. <laughs> we are listening to the main title from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And here it is. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I thought it would be good. <laughs> It's the original, the classic. What do you think? Oh, it's I love it. It's so <laughs> iconic. It's brilliant. I mean, just iconic is thrown around as a word like wildly these days. Well, but iconic. this is the sort of thing it should be applied to. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, like... But you know what? It's just um, I can't describe it other than <laughs> in any other way. Just from how it's so different, but it sticks. And it's simplicity. I mean, like, if you want to kind of break it down, I mean, it's got everything. It's got the sound effects. It's got music to create the world of the West. And this, it sets the scene. It sets the characters. Well, you let's, know, let's, let's, let's actually break it down. Let's break it down. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, it, when I say it, but it's simple, it's the simplicity and the ability for anyone to hum it. I uh-huh. think that's what is just so amazing. Yeah. You know? And... One thing I'll just mention, just very simple. I'm quite saddened that he is quite averse to it because, I mean, I understand why he was a little bit like, oh, can we stop talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly? You're like, I've got this whole other range of like amazing soundtracks that I've composed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like it's it's almost like, but 
can you not appreciate what you've done how you've changed the mm. sound of spaghetti westerns i think that's what's so amazing the fact that he just changed a genre and he gave this gritty kind of like cheap version of the american western um films its own identity yeah you know firstly um but yeah if we want to kind of break it down i mean like the drums where the rhythms are indigenous you know mm -hmm. at the beginning you you feel this you so you feel already that you're in this kind of old world yeah uh, there's a sense of isolation in the wild like from the coyote imitation call that you hear mm -hmm. and the use of the reverb and you because of the use of the reverb you really feel like you're in the desert and it's unhospitable and mm -hmm. territory and you know you get the sense that you have to keep your wits about and then when the fender guitar comes in and it's that riff comes it's which again amplifies for me a sort of a sense of singularity this independence and kind of lone wolf mm. element to it like i felt like each element of the instruments used or instrumentation is the way it was mixed it's so poignant and individual to kind of almost differentiate the different characters yeah or and to kind of amplify like in line with the visuals for when like it stops this ha it has this like pause and on each character and then introduces them mm -hmm. um and yeah, and then the rhythmic trumpets, I think it comes in around like two minutes or so. It's For me, it's very resonant of sort of Mexican style music. and uh, sort of mariachi sort of, sound, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And again, it sets the scene. It's, it creates the, the environment that you're in that, you know, it's going to be in, in this sort of side of the country. And it's kind of a call and response quality to it where you're competing against each other. Again, like showcasing the characters we're going to yeah. be competing against each other we have there's three elements the aha the guitar the wah 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 yeah you know they complement each other and they complement the individual characters i think it is for a main title is brilliant it is mm -hmm. everything that you need and the whip cracks don't forget the whip cracks. and the, there's yeah the sound effects and yeah. the, like the galloping the horse galloping sound effects as well yeah. and i think experience is such a pleasurable sonic experience that yeah. um you can enjoy it with the film and you can enjoy it without the film yeah it's good fun yeah and you what did you think ah uh, look i mean i i agree with pretty much all of that i the thing that I was most surprised by by this, because obviously you're not surprised by the music at all. You've all we've all heard it a billion times. I was surprised just how many ways it's used during the film. Mm. That it it is used to mark pretty much every single plot point. It is used for heavy moments. It is used for light moments. It's used for silly moments. There's times that the wah 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 is used like a sad trombone kind of a thing, just because somebody's having a bit of a sad, like mm -hmm. it's. A, a, but you know, like a totally comedic way. Like it's a really. Normally, when we talk about a really famous, amazing, influential piece of music, there's a certain reverence that you have to show to it you know it's like a big serious piece of music this is silly it's it's genuinely very very silly and kind of disrespectful to the film and all sorts of things like it's a really silly piece of music but it is also just amazing and i think to a certain extent maybe that's part of what makes this film so good is that it's not really that good a film but this soundtrack is so 
it's so forward thinking, but at the same time, self-aware of how silly it is because it mocks itself and it mocks the film constantly. And I don't know, that's, it's a really amazing balance. I'm very surprised that you said that you don't think it's a good film. I think there's going to be a whole horde of people <laughs> disagreeing, shaking their head. I mean, but even it's like I it's have a, but to, it's, a, it's a fun I'm film. I'm disagreeing like, it's a good with you. I'm like, when I heard you say, I was like, woo. But it's like it's a good film in that it's a fun film. It's a fun film to watch. Like, but it's not like a heavy film that like really carries much weight to it. Um, it's oh, just a I think good it fun does. time. Okay. I don't know. I think there's just. I think when you break it down, and it's it's strange. I can't go into too much about it now, otherwise, because that will, that's another episode, and that's more mm. of like a movie study type episode. But I I can I, I can see and appreciate why a lot of people would say that this is one of the greatest films. Like you know, it's on par with. It's on. You know, if you had to your top five or top ten films obviously godfather would be in it but Mm. this one would also be in it and i can see why i mean i was surprised that i really enjoyed it considering it's three hours long yeah and i didn't did not feel like it's three hours like there's some films i'm not gonna lie the mission was a little bit like that for me even Mm -hmm. though it was shorter but so yeah i'm a little bit surprised by that so, so what i would say is of all of the various crafts that go into film the ones we tend to overemphasize are directing, acting, and writing. And I think all of those, I mean, the directing's good, but the, the acting is pretty suspect at best. And the, and the <gasps> writing, <laughs> and, and the, the writing, it doesn't say a lot, although the writing's pretty sharp at times. Um, but the <gasps> no, other no, no, no. stuff is amazing. It, it's, just, it's just not up to the level of everything else. Tuco, come on, Tuco was amazing. Tuco's fine, but Clint, I mean, I mean, Clint is just Clint. I was just a bit like... They could have rolled a surfboard around. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's kind of like a juxtaposition. He's just basically the opposite of Tuco. That's what it is. He's like... And then Angel Eyes is basically somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's pretty confident, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot of... There's not a lot of heavy acting required. And like the, the, um, the captain is just sort of a bit mental um like the cavalry <laughs> captain or whatever um i don't know it's it's not it's not heavy stuff but it's, it's good fun but what i'm saying is, is that i guess there's more of a there's a disconnect like the the cinematography some of the editing is ridiculously good like mm-hmm. it is some of the best cinematography and editing you'll ever see ever and mm-hmm. then you add this score and it is phenomenal and so you've got like th- these sort of allied crafts, as it were, like really cutting edge on it. And then the the stuff, but all of the stuff that we would normally consider central to the quality of a film isn't as good as that stuff. And I guess that's maybe what creates a disconnect for me because it's not even trying to be. This is not trying to be one of the great heavy dramas of, of all time. It's a fun film that happens to just be incredibly well made. But yeah, that, that's, that's what I feel. It's Look, it's an amazing title. Uh, it's avant-garde. It's, it's ridiculous. Let it, let's move on to The Mission and the track called Gabriel's Oboe.
for me, heavenly comes yeah. to mind. Transcendent is uh, the word that I use, but yeah, same, yeah. same idea. And um, I guess because the music in the film is used as a symbol of humanity, mm -hmm. um, of connecting to other people, whether however different they are. Like this him, Gabriel playing the oboe in front of the indigenous um, people. Guarani, yep. And them obviously not accepting him at first because obviously they break his oboe. However... <laughs> They appreciate some of them. Obviously, the captain yeah. breaks it, but the majority King. appreciated of what he was trying to communicate to them. And I think it really does suits the character. There's, there is poise. There's harmony. There's, you know, you hear, you hear that is from a developed world. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it has a sort of a sense of nobility. It's very kind of Bach, Beethoven, sort of 18th century type period. And it's one of the three melodies that carries the film yep. and gives it weight and emotional depth that the film and the character development lacked in. I'm not mm -hmm. going to lie. I didn't, I didn't think it was a, a great film. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's... The version that we hear here is obviously the version from the track listing, not necessarily from the film, because in the film it's just literally just the oboe, whereas here on the album it's more decorative because there's a harpsichord pulse, there's choirs, there's strings, and oboe, and it's all yep. very rich. And it really does take you back to that time, and um, it makes me think of sitting in a large hall with the gentry watching an orchestra perform. But... Um, yeah, I think in terms of, is this class as a, would you say it's class as the main title? Uh, main title, no, but it's definitely the main theme from the movie. I think I can appreciate its beauty. I think it does its job very well for the character. Mm -hmm. So this piece of music tends to win the, like whenever people sit down, they do a, what are the, the greatest pieces of film music ever written? This one wins more often than it doesn't. Interesting. This, this tends to beat all other pieces of film music. It's this is often the number one. Um, yeah, I think there's just something about um, how uh, it's it's beautiful to start with, and there's something about how it's presented in the forest, like this is authentically in the jungle above the Iguazu Falls. Then the cinematography, the blocking, because you've just got the it's an un, like it's a wordless scene essentially with the Guarani around him. And it just creates this sort of magical cinematic moment, really, of two cultures sort of meeting each other in this sort of really interesting, slightly conflicted way, but in this this beautiful space. Uh, and then, as you say, there is that juxtaposition between the sort of really genteel um, Western cultured thing of, of of the oboe in particular playing this quite complex kind of a melody set against the sort of fantastic forest um, with the running water and, and all those sorts of things. I think now it is easy to listen to this and think it's a little bit schmaltzy and over the top. It's a little bit 80s and I think that does hurt it. But it's very... It's a very aspirational piece of music of just how 
like religious and transcendental and beautiful this film was trying to be. And I think kind of what I'm getting at is that these films are very much, I feel, coming from opposite directions. I think Good Bag the Ugly was trying to be just a fun, good time movie that happened to then be amazingly well made, whereas The Mission was trying to be a really significant statement um, film that perhaps wasn't as well made as it needed to be to make to say the things it wanted to say. Um, but the music is not one of the areas that it was deficient in. And the music at this moment, the music plus the cinematography is as good as any combination of sound and vision has ever been put together, I think. Okay. What will you vote for? I'm going to vote for the good, the bad and the ugly. Okay. I think for me it's purely because Gabriel's oboe is not... I don't class it as the main thing for the overall film. I think there's a different track that I would class as an overall thing where okay. it it blends both cultures together. Here, for me, it's purely just the character's theme. Okay. I'm still going to go with the mission because I just think it is a really beautifully put together scene. Just looking at it as a scene. Let's move on to round two, Arrival. And we've got two more ridiculously good tracks right now. And for The Good, Bad and the Ugly, we're going to be listening to The Ecstasy of Gold.
Okay, I don't know if you're gonna say anything bad about this. I hope you won't. Wow. <laughs> um, just because, like, for me, I'm like totally in love with this. Like, I can't say anything bad about it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing that. Mm-hmm. No, go, on, go. On. <laughs> um, so obviously, this is one of the iconic scenes where Tuco is running around the gravestone, running around the cemetery to try and find this gold that has been promised for them that this is the whole film has been based on them finding and I just I love the way Tuco is skipping over the graves and the music is like mirroring his joy and it's the music really drives the action like this uh-huh. anticipation and stuff and for me I'll it's just, just I'll just stop you there and just, just put in my little comment because it won't make any sense later on of we all want to be as excited about something in our lives as Tuco is about $200,000 <laughs> worth of confederate gold yes exactly <laughs> the sheer level of joy that yeah. he has at the idea that he's very close to his prize Absolutely. Is, is, is something that everybody should one day experience. Yes. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. It's powerful. Again, the music is just so simple yet direct and, you know, the oboe at the beginning obviously introduces the primary melody and then you get this strong sort of gallop rhythms which begins to build the intensity. Mixed in with the editing, it creates this sense of anxiety and um and it to me it still sounds very modern and it dominates the scene in the best way possible you know where it drives it and you experience the same or you at least you try and experience the same exhilaration as the character both watching the film and listening to the track on its own Mm -hmm. um like metallica for instance they use this song as their entrance track for their concerts before they go on stage i mean really (laughs) yeah and i'm just like i don't blame you yeah I mean, Marconi has been quite influential for like the me- the metal world, to be honest. The way the music kind of develops and then it kind of goes down, like it c- c- comes down and then it builds intensity again. And then right at the end, you get the the guitar, the electric guitar kind of entering and it's giving this sort of contemporary sort of m- riff to it. Mm-hmm. And then it starts getting a little bit chaotic and offbeat and faster. And it's like Tuco, basically. I love, I like listening to this music. I think there's a sense of intensity that alongside with the, the voice, the beautiful yeah, voice soprano, from... Yeah, What's her name? Her name's like Edda Dell also, and she's collaborated with him like 28 times. Like she is mm. his go-to female voice. Yeah. Um, and just the way he uses her voice as an instrument, and it's very unique. It's like an extension of the strings and the rhythms and stuff. And it's just like... The fact that it's called Ecstasy of Gold, you really do get a sense of colour, I think, yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, just that's all I can say about it. It's just, it's, I love this piece, piece of music, whether it's with the film or without it. Um, I think, yeah. like, as, as the pivotal moment in the film where, you know, after watching almost two and a half hours, I think this is kind of like us as an audience feeling that, my God, we're finally going to end this. We're going to see the end of this film soon as well. (laughs) The film really has been building to this moment. Like it makes very clear the whole way through that we are going to get this gold. Like it is a very singular purpose film and it is a very long film to have such a, a very simple MacGuffin concept and so it really has to give you payoff and this piece is essentially the payoff i i find the scene itself with the like wildly swinging camera and stuff 
I, I will confess I find the scene a little over the top, but the music is amazing and the, mm. the music is I and you, you say that it's good in and out and I agree I think it's even better outside of the film because in the film you're you're quite distracted because the with the editing and the spinning yeah. cameras and everything you're distracted and just two coast characters or well, he's just yeah. over the top um, I think yeah you mentioned earlier at the beginning that this is like some tracks of Morricone's are best enjoyed live and this is definitely one that yeah. oh my god if you heard it live it's just bringing it'll bring the, ro- the roof down mm-hmm. and it's majesty majesty yeah, it's it is a phenomenal piece of writing. It's the sort of writing that most film composers actually just flat out can't do. Because it's so simple, and you think, oh, it's so simple. Why can't I do it? But there's just there's the layers to it. Yeah, there's something about how he puts it together that is that is impressive. Um, hmm. At the end, in particular, I think that's when it really gets amazing. We just get this cacophony of percussion and brass to mm-hmm. it, which is, it's quite a new sound. It's quite an unusual sound in film. It reminds me, and there's a few spots in this score that do remind me of this, of a, of a piece of early 20th century Italian music called Pines of Rome by Respighi, which is to say that like Morricone is clearly drawing on kind of his own musical heritage the the heritage of musicians around him in Italy who have you know had pushed forward quite a bit and he was rejecting um the normal sounds of westerns which were basically Very a comp- lush strings yeah they're a composite of Aaron Copland's like uh, American symphonic style and the Russian influences of people like Tjomkin. So pretty much most um, who'd be making a lot of money doing Westerns. So most of the Western sound in, in America was Tjomkin's sort of Russian training combined with, well, I guess I can't sound entirely like Stravinsky and Prokofiev, so I'll make a like a, a composite where I use some open chords from Copeland and then that's the sound. That, that's all you have to do. Um, but Morricone, for this sort of trilogy and this score in particular is just like well no i'll just I'll, I'll do modern italian stuff and just add in a lot of like mexican and indigenous american and the occasional like big open chord and i'm going to create something entirely new and i'm going to use this fender guitar which is actually a genuinely new instrument at that point and the result is phenomenal it's it it, it it's crazy uh, i i love it and no it's a very very good piece of music okay then Moving on to the mission, and we're listening to The River. So this uh, piece uh, celebrates the arrival of the Cardinal in, up into the, the mission. I've never fully understood how he gets there to arrive <laughs> by boat. I, I love the combination of the percussion, the pan flutes, the voices. Um, it, 
is designed to feel diegetic, like it could authentically be created in the place by the people. Um, I don't, it's just, it's so uplifting and triumphant. Um, this simple rising, constantly repeating phrase, it reinforces bits of the of Gabriel's over um, Gabriel's oboe and another theme, the falls theme, which we will come to later on. Um, it's just it's really really beautiful and instantly distinctive. Um, I'm guessing that this is the piece of music that you think is probably the main theme. Yes, uh, as well as the other one, the falls. But, yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it has it's it's a majestic arrival. Yeah. And it definitely exudes that. Um, and as you say, yeah, me too. I absolutely love the combination of the ethnic drums and the hymn-like sort of melodic calls. Of, and it's, it's unison. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think what this music particular and the scene does very well, it's showing the meeting of the two worlds in harmony, understanding and celebration. I think that's what this music really beautifully does and portrays um it has this this sort of welcoming and awe quality you feel the cardinals his own awe of the guaranis is it guarani yeah Yeah. um the seeing them for the first time as like and understanding that they're they're civilized you know just by looking at the mission's construction such as the bridge and just you hope that this is the moment that is going to make him realize that this is the pivotal moment that like this is going to be the saving grace for these people and yeah because of the way everything's just so lit as well and the music is it's uh it's yeah it's a great it's a great scene and obviously it's very sad how it ends and it really sets up the tragedy of it doesn't yeah. it because there's a sense of this is so beautiful. How could you possibly let this be destroyed? Right? Yeah. Like th- this scene just in and of itself, the rest of the film is kind of trying to say that, but this scene could probably have almost done it by itself. Yeah. Where you're just like, you, how could you possibly destroy this? It's so beautiful and happy. It's yeah. like, what else do you want from us? Yeah. Is that yeah. scene where you think um, like the cars have been laid out, like it's done and dusted, like we, it's in the bag, you know? Yeah, because it's victorious. Like, it sounds yeah, victorious. Exactly, yeah. totally. That's exactly victorious as well. And and like I said, it's it's just, it's harmony at the end of the day. Yeah. Like it, it, it showcases that like both people can live peacefully in harmony, understanding, and like, you know, we're all one at the end of the day. Yeah. And even though we may be different, However, when placed together with the right music, the right melody and tone and pitch or whatever, it's like it, we can come together at the mm. end of the day. I think that's what the music really does very well, as, as I mentioned earlier, is just bringing those two worlds together and making them feel connected. Yeah. Um, in terms of like uh, my favorite? Yeah, pick a winner. This is tough. Oh, unfortunately, it's not that tough for me. <laughs> Oh, really? No. You're going to go for the Ecstasy of Gold? Yes. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. It's weird. I think, I, I think in my past, not in my past life, but I think early in my lifetime, I probably heard this music and the fact that I rediscovered it again for this episode, I was just like, oh my God, where have I been? Like, this is pure magic. I think with the mission, it just—I just think Lion King. 
Sure. Unfortunately, sure. there's this, there's a certain not not okay. Cheapness is the wrong word, but um, novelty. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, I can't. I'm thinking of, like, even though it's beautiful and it's great, it's a little bit too optimistic, maybe? A little bit wow. too happy? I mean, that's fair enough. I could see why you'd vote against something for being too happy. <laughs> <laughs> the what you said earlier, where it's like, um, there's something about the way it connects to you having heard it before speaks to you in a way that's hard to ignore I, th I think that might be why I'm tending to fall the other way I keep listening to the ecstasy of gold I'm thinking I can I should definitely vote for this because this is an amazing piece of music because it is but then I hear the river and I'm like well obviously I'm voting for that that's one of the greatest pieces of film music ever written so it, it's well, tough what makes, what makes it the greatest piece of music for you then oh, just the just the way it carries so much feeling and emotion and sense of that scene just so immediately and just how incredibly distinct it is. I don't know, like, so in the last round, I ignored the Good, Bad and the Ugly theme, which had that level of distinction and sound branding and obviousness to it in favour of Gabriel Zobro, which is just so beautiful and so perfect as a cinematic moment. In this one, it, I'm almost going the other way in that the the river has that sound branding quality to it. Like you just, the, everything about that, composition the mix the balance the, the everything it just it's so this film and so obviously this film and maybe it's just that both of these if i hear them outside like in the concert hall as it were they they're both amazing the ecstasy of gold i think will is timeless because it's so fundamentally orchestral so it continues to sound amazing, whereas perhaps the river dates a bit more. I haven't heard a modern version of it for a while. I think for me, if I may add to it, I mean, it may, after a while, that melody does get a bit boring okay, for me. Okay, fine, fine. Um, but then when I put them then back together in the film, I don't like the ecstasy of gold scene as much, whereas the river scene, it just it just fits like a glove and it's just so perfect. So again, this is like a one of them is 99% and the other is 100 type deal. Like there's so little gap between them, but I just fall for the river every time. Okay, fair enough. So we'll move on to round three. And it's basically what we've been having all the way along, tension and combat. <laughs> I think this is the first time where we're actually uh, going against each other, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's two rounds where we both voted opposite each other. The track we're listening to for the good, the bad and the ugly is... Oh my, this is one of the most amazing, iconic scenes in film history. We're using iconic too often. It's just a good scene. The trio. Thank you. 
look, I will, I will let you start, but I just want to say one like silly thing off off the beginning, which isn't going to change anything you say. Which is okay. that I, I normally feel like nothing good happens in a movie after two and a half hours. So after two and a half hours, you're so worn down that nothing amazing can really happen after that. Uh-huh. But two hours and forty minutes into this movie, I will give it some credit. This is this is quite a moment musically and cinematically. Uh, I will now let you carry on. I mean, I'm kind of kind of concentrate. I don't know why. I'm going to talk more about the scene. I mean, it's basically obviously the Mexican standoff, and it's yeah. This music. is the Mexican standoff. I mean, you, you just <laughs> raised the term yeah. archetypal, but like this is the Mexican standoff to which all of this. Yes. Yeah, the quintessential one. Um, <laughs> all of the words. All of the words. Uh, <laughs> it's the one that everybody strives to imitate, basically. I wonder um, if the concept of a Mexican standoff existed before this scene. I don't right? know. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the music and it's so there's an element of for me, it's quite ceremonious. Okay. Um, in the way that they're taking their positions, you know, and mm. they, taking their time to kind of create this sort of like triangular, you know. Yep. And then it's a different kind of tension um, combined with the editing, which is very unique mm. um, in comparison to most. Like when you think of tension scenes in film, it's completely different. I think. Yeah. I think music... it's because it's coming from a sense of comedy rather than mm. horror, because there is a comedicness, particularly to Tuco, but they use oh, that to build tension. Yes. <laughs> totally. And it's weird. I think I feel the, I don't want to say the word generic, but like the, the type of tension that an audience would start to feel when the music stops midway. Mm. And that's where I feel the tension starts properly. And it's just the shots, the close-ups of each character with the editing from one to another. And you see their personalities and their decision-making. And it's a very unique scene because there's no dialogue. It's just the music. And the music yep. is compensating for all this. And you as an audience are trying to decipher like what each character is thinking. What is the, how are they processing their decision? How are they calculating their risk? Like who's it going to be? And the fact that you see their individual personalities he's come through like through Tuco's sort of frantic kind of like eyebrows mania. I know <laughs> just bloody hilarious then you've got Blondie who's just like just Blondie just yeah. like completely <laughs> so just forward. nothing there's like just literally like one of those like wind things going over there's just like no expression whatsoever mm-hmm. and then Angel Eyes is kind of like in between he's a little bit more cool headed um, a little bit sly and but at the same time you then gradually see his stress levels kind of rising because he's just thinking like literally like who am I going to shoot who's going to shoot me like what's going on like what shall mm-hmm. I do like it's this it's like a poker game yeah in a weird way um, or like is it Russian roulette as well maybe uh, well, you'd be the expert on that one. <laughs> well, it's just those. It's that sort of high and anxiety, high, high intensity. Stakes. Yeah, yeah, high stakes, and it's just of who do you trust? And the music kind of carries. It takes its own world. Like I don't necessarily think that the music represents the characters. I think it's it's for me it's one of those scenes where the music just it's doing a performance for itself hmm if that makes sense yeah um 
it's like if this is my moment there's no dialogue to kind of dictate on where the audience should feel i'm just gonna go have fun with this and just kind of make it as bombastic as possible oh um, there we go yep <laughs> um yeah i i but it's funny i think for me i much prefer the the editing i like i like i said i still think the music is great i think the editing i think I'm almost kind of curious to know, like, would the scene would be just as impactful if you take away the music and you just observe the shots and the editing? Mm. You know, because I think the editing is just as strong as the music. I agree. I think I would argue, and you know, unprepared, etc. Um, I would argue that the music is required to create the tone because mm-hmm. I think the editing, as I sort of hinted earlier, is based around a more comedic style. And I think without the music to give it gravitas, the comedy might play out more. But because the music is so tense and steady with that rippling guitar and the brass and stuff, I think it anchors it and then it allows the the humour to be to come across as nervous, anxious ticks rather than funny over the top character moments. I, th- I think it's essential to to weigh it down and keep it tethered if that makes sense. Um, so I think it does some heavy work there. And look, apart from that, I pretty much agree with you entirely. Um, the one thing I'd sort of like to talk, just raise here is the the brass in it when it comes in, where it has these big kind of sort of grand sort of open chord Copeland type, very American kind of sounds, but then it quickly shifts into the sort of mariachi style playing. So it's, it's actually quite... Um, nicely, I think, marrying together Mexican and American uh, musical tropes. Uh, And I think that's actually really cool um, myself. Um, But, yeah, overall, it's just this beautiful, tense, heavy scene. Love it. Okay. Cool. On to the mission. And there's a few different tracks in the mission that sort of seem to be from the so the battle scenes towards the end the soundtrack album is a little confused but we're listening to the track refusal which is as the guarani prepare for the we've decided portuguese approach here it is Thank you. 
I think, in terms of tension and combat, I think this is quite unique. Mm-hmm. However, a little bit again, I don't, it's, generic is not the word I'm thinking of, but it's something that is quite a little bit expected. However, there's elements that kind of throw you off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, because it's very dissonant, it's very uncomfortable, yep. it's dark. And the flutes, they jump at you like arrows or like those needles that yeah. they bow through their pipes or something. And it's mm-hmm. tense and it's scary. And, you know, there's military trumpet toots that come in that, you know, again, it's this is the moment where you kind of get the sense that the two worlds are now going to into combat with each other. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, I actually prefer this in terms of like, based on what we're talking about, the rounds in terms of like tension and combat. Um, mm-hmm. I think listening to it on its own, I felt more dread. I think with yeah. the film, maybe because with the film you kind of expect it that it that it kind of gets a little bit lost, I guess, and it makes you feel like, oh, of course, this is your typical generic sort of preparation for the fight, as it mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That's my kind of notes for it, really. Yeah, I mean, there's not much. That's that's the main gist of it. Of it does, yeah. It uses the dissonance, the clusters in the in the piano and the woodwinds in particular. I I like. I really love the trumpets. That sort of echoey effect he has on them. It has this real sort of echoes of empire type quality to it. It's quite mocking, I think, of the Portuguese approach. Like it makes him scary, but it's also like taking like 
these sorts of fanfares are heroic, right? Like in, in pretty much any other film, you hear a trumpet fanfare like the beginning of Star Wars, and it's amazing. That's the hero. The hero is coming. He manages to twist and contort this track in a way that you hear those trumpet fanfares, but they're obviously evil, despite the fact that they are being played relatively straight. Um, so I think that's quite an impressive feat on Morricone's part. Um, and I think, again, there's a, there's a lot of um, Respighi to this. It also at moments sounds quite like uh, Maurice Ravel. Um, this, it's, real, it's film music very much by way of sort of modern European or even like Russian ballet style, like a sort of Stravinsky type style and I, I like that particularly towards the end when you've got that really sort of like repetitive percussion that sounds very Stravinsky right of spring like and you know me I love it when they start to bring this sort of like modern concert sound into into cinema I've got a feeling that this of all of the tracks we're listening to obviously the main theme for good bad and the ugly is very influential but this one probably low-key is the one that has in, inspired the most other actual film tracks i think there's a certain genre of action film that uses this template more than yeah. than anything certainly braveheart um, um james Horner i feel like predator general. as well yeah so james Horner and jerry goldsmith both i think Listen to this and picked it up. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this one's actually a fairly influential one. So then I'm intrigued to know who you're going to vote. It's a really, really, really tough call. I love the rippling guitar in Good, the Bad and the Ugly. I think I will go with the Good, Bad and the Ugly. <laughs> go on, be brave. I am just thinking. I think for tension... If we're voting on that, I felt more tense with refusal. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely, I definitely accept that as logic. Yeah. <laughs> Considering it's, I guess, a little bit more generic, but you know, hey, you know, you yeah. had your moments of going with how you felt based on the film and the scene, and I'm going with mine. Yeah, love it. Okay, so coming into round four, they are neck and neck. Uh, let's go on to round four, eulogy. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Are we listening to a track called The Story of a Soldier?
So this truck is sung by the Confederate soldiers in the prison camp, kind of while Tuco is being tortured. We also hear it, bits and pieces of it around. It becomes almost like a Confederate theme, I guess, because um, we also hear it when Angel Eyes arrives at the Confederate fort earlier in the movie. Yeah, um, it, it also comes when um, the death of the soldier, when um, Blondie comes over and he hands the dying soldier a cigarette to enjoy one last time. Ah, uh, yeah, that and, sounds about right. Yeah, I think, obviously, it's it's interesting how, like, at different moments in the film, it's meant to serve a different sort of emotional mm. depth to it. And for me, I mean, I'll just say very quickly, because I feel like... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Sorry. Um and this is the scene where I felt like it was much more like the purpose of it is to obviously Blondie's kindness I guess the whole purpose of it is to make the dying soldier feel comfortable so that he knows there's somebody there caring for him while he dies yeah. and I think well, the music really kind of carries this Blondie's intentions to make him make the dying soldier feel safe and secure rather than alone in the middle of the desert and I think mm. they say that this is the moment where Blondie becomes good on its own, like the story of the soldier, even when it's played during when Tuko is being tortured, like it's it has a soothing quality to it. Yeah. And there's a sadness to it, and you know the melody lines are very nicely fit. They just the way the music kind of flows, it's so effortlessly. There's a little bit of Disney into it. I don't know. Yeah. Of its I... time, I think it's it's definitely a, a, the music and the song and the words. I I guess uh, in some ways a little bit of its time, mm-hmm. and he was trying to replicate what it must have been like back in those times. When was it? What the uh, turn of the twentieth century? No, it was earlier than that. When the, the film War. is set, no, yeah, the Civil, Civil War yeah, was Civil just. War. It was in the nineteenth century, wasn't it? Yes, eighteen um, sixties. Yeah, so nineteenth century. So yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I completely agree with that. I think this is a piece entirely about um, humanity and vulnerability. Um, there's a, a certain amount of nostalgia to it as well. Um, and I think it, yeah, at various points it does show um, the more human side of these otherwise incredibly tough macho men. Um and it can show them, therefore, like when they're broken, or perhaps just when, as you say, they're being sympathetic and 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 gentle to each other and kind. Um, it's. But it, I think what it it's I think it should be noted that it doesn't make them any less of a man for showing kindness and gentleness. And I think that's what this course. film and the music highlights. But back even though in back in that day, like in 1966, like during a societal society where and the culturals where it was very kind of toxic masculinity being so prevalent um it's true but you also had a lot of veterans around that's true yes yeah so you had this whole you still very much have the generation that been through world war ii in america you had the generation who had been through korea and you had the very active war in vietnam (laughs) in Mm. 1966 so uh of the kind of intended audience for this film, there are a hell of a lot of people who had actually been to war and didn't have a romantic opinion of what war would be like, but had a very real understanding of how damaging and difficult it is and how broken people come back from it. 
Um, and I think as a as a result, this much like when we talked about the the Great Escape, like these films that were made back when these were very living memories. Um, there is a lot more humanity in the way that they portrayed soldiers back then when kind of normal people were soldiers if it makes sense because we had these people who'd been conscripted and stuff like that so people who had never intended to become soldiers were and were affected and, and brought that idea back to their community so it's a bit more uh cross-class cross-culture um than mm. it perhaps is now where it's more professional soldiers and coming from very particular corners of society uh, there was more of a universality of the acceptance of what soldiers had been through at that point and you see that very clearly in the differences between the tone of war movies now and war movies then even though in this case obviously it is telling it through the story of the civil war um if you could imagine a more conflicted emotion um moral war i i, I can't think of one right now but you know it's, it's a tricky one um but yeah so I think, that, yeah, that, that humanity there, absolutely. Moving on to the mission, the falls. Shall we have a listen? That's a beautiful piece of music. It is. It's used twice in a, in a short space of time at the beginning of the film. Obviously, when the fathers yeah. arrive and at the falls, and when they um, pay respects to the poor, uh, to the previous father who. Um, it didn't go so well for it. It did go very well, no. It kind of went over the falls. Yes. And um, and then obviously when he is, when Gabriel is climbing up the falls. Again, it's just another sort of amazing signature of Morricone's. It's the simplicity of the music. How, but then how much depth and emotional it carries in ways that it's meant to represent. I guess I think this particular track is meant to represent the church establishments or at least the influence or its existence um, oh, for okay. me. Um, because right. the way it is shot and the way that music first soars when Gabriel takes the old priest's um, cross, um, it's almost like yeah. a handover of the responsibilities, like a mantle being given to the next person. And it's kind of like, best of luck, may God be with you type moments. That's okay. what I kind of felt from it when he picked up the cross and kind of took it over. So that's the first moment where the mo music really accentuates that 
sort of church religious sort of influence of I do feel like it's their theme in some ways and then the second time when Gabriel's climbing up the falls and he stumbles a few times and it looks like he won't make it at some point and then there's a moment again when the music starts to build and and get it's always and it's almost like he's praying mentally it's almost like the will of the god is like pushing him and carrying him giving him that last moment of like aid I guess Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so when the music soars it's like the hand of God has helped him up and giving him that last push up the hill and yeah I mean the pacing and the massive build up and the how it soars and it flows it's you really feel the magnitude and power of the Iguazu Falls and it's magnificent magnificent and the magnificence sorry (laughs) (laughs) um as well as from like the dead priest to the father gabriel the burden the burden of having now taking on these responsibilities to kind of carry the word of god and try and teach people try and convert Mm -hmm. them to this new way of living and this new philosophy um and i do feel that this is the scenario where the film really outperforms the music sorry the this is definitely the scene and scenario where the music outperforms the film and dominates and elevates the scenes but it doesn't save the story oh okay for me because i think that's something that because i remember when you mentioned to me i know you did very kindly you prepared me and said ella this is going to be a very difficult watch yeah, because obviously, um, from when we what did the leftovers, I was not expecting <laughs> that. <laughs> so thank you for considering to kind of give me a heads up. And I was waiting for this for the tears to come, mm. and for this like, and for me, I mean, it's a sad story. It's tragic, but um, yeah. I just think the the way it was scripted, and um, I just didn't feel what I should have felt for the main character. So when the demise happened and i felt more sorry for the actual again um the guarani um yeah oh that's uh, who i expected you to feel sorry for oh yeah no but i always i again again i always felt sorry for them for people like that who were like having their world taken over them like i feel a supreme like tragedy and what's the word um empathy towards the um the indigenous people of america and australia i just feel like the way that they're being treated and continually being treated is absolutely atrocious and i just feel like again let's not go there again it's going to be a long 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 discussion but um yeah i just i what i was meant to feel for robert de niro's character and for jeremy irons character I didn't necessarily. Maybe it was just to do because there wasn't enough of a build to kind of for me, for us to get to know them better. Because mm-hmm. it kind of skips quite drastically. Like it at does. the beginning, you know, in one minute he's with his brother and then his wife, like his, and then he finds out that his brother's been having an affair with his wife and then he kills his brother and then he's in prison and it just feels and then he's doing this weird um is it tartarus what's the what's the greek myth of the man who is pushing up a boulder up a, yes and then it falls down the other end yep. and then he says it's a continuous torture it has that sort of moment to it and yep I, the moment i'm not gonna lie the moment that i did feel sort of emotional emo, emotional is when he gets to the top and then he starts crying because um 
he loses the what exactly I can't remember what exactly happens there's something that the Gwari people do and then he just breaks down and he's just like and they kind of come up to him and then one of the, I think the captain or one of the Gwari people like the main chiefs kind of comes over and hugs him and he's crying and he and the chief starts laughing with him laughing mm. not at him but in, in his way to try and make him feel better and be like it's okay you're yeah. done good don't worry stop punishing yourself it was almost that sort of um, c- communication to be like, you know, stop torturing yourself. It's okay. Like, yeah. And I think that sort of reflection and acceptance, that's who I think was quite a very pivotal moment. On top of obviously when Gabriel was playing his music to hmm. people. But yeah, I just think like maybe it needs to be a much longer film to give more time for it to, to kind of develop further. Yeah, there's definitely issues with the structure of the story of not quite establishing. It feels like it it wants to say all these things, but it doesn't seem to actually know how to say them. It felt um, like maybe this film needed... Yeah, and I think it almost felt like they, maybe this film needed to be three hours long in order to try and contain and communicate everything that you wanted to say. Maybe. But yeah. what did you think? Um... Yeah, I I disagree with you in feeling the religious part of this track. I very much just see it as being symbolic of the falls. I see it as being very of nature, this piece. Um, I I love the the like the ringing harp, the soft strings, the panpipes. The panpipes really obviously tie it into the world, um, being obviously a, an instrument of that of that area. The whole, the whole sound of this as a piece to me is earthy and breathing. It's it's like you can feel the earth breathing around you, which, I mean, you're in the jungle, you're in the center of the Amazon. It kind of is, you know. It's it's the lungs of the world. Um, and I just I I feel just so much sense of air in 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 the track. It's a really really beautiful piece of music. And it has to be because it's up against this stunning piece of um, geography, like the, the the falls and the jungle and everything. They are just so beautiful, and as a soundtrack, it's having to live up to and match that, and that's a very very difficult ask. And he somehow manages to achieve it. So I think that's probably the main thing that I would say. Uh, so, which one will you vote for? Both are amazing, but I do feel that if we're doing about eulogy, um, the story of a soldier kind of just ticks all the boxes for it. Okay, for the matching falls, the yes, matching the the, the the round, I guess. Yes, sure. But the falls is a beautiful piece of music like if it was maybe we were voting on something else maybe i kind of basing it on emotionality emotional depth or just sentimentality i would probably go for the falls but i think just in reference to what the round is about uh i would say it's also whilst i say it is primarily about the falls it is also a bit of a, a, a eulogy for the the dead priest right i know but i don't get that 
See, for the I don't get that it's the it's the eulogy for the dead priest just because it comes in in so many other forms during the whole film. Okay. And uh, as you say, you you mentioned yourself that you it sounds like it's more the music for the of the falls. It's nature. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Um. So. But I can't deny the beauty of that piece of music. I found like this one was much more stronger for me. However, I am gonna go for the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay. <laughs> you? I'm gonna go for the falls, and it's mainly because there were a couple of times, particularly in the in the camp scene where the the actual soldiers are singing it, where. It's just ever so slightly over the top, and I wonder if it's being serious or sarcastic. And I uh -huh. just got a little bit confused. Whereas the falls, I always feel like emotionally I'm right where I need to be. But it's again, it's very, very tight. Importantly, it leaves everything to play for going to round five, which I don't think has ever happened before. So let's go on to legacy. I, okay, from my point of view, um, I, I feel that the good, the bad, and the ugly had much more of a legacy than in pop culture. Yes, than undoubtedly. The, and I think in terms of weight, I think the mission has has left legacy in the music, in the film music community. And okay. Uh, not so, I, I it's it's and like the mission is Marikoni's his personal favorite it's been reported um I yeah I'm just gonna keep it simple I think the good the bad and the ugly I I just feel like it's been parodied so much the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I said, I mentioned this earlier. It's been so inter intertwined, um, interwoven our pop culture. Like it's influenced a lot of like pop, like bands, like Arctic mm -hmm. Monkeys. It's Radiohead. I think it's had such more, like the fact that Quentin Tarantino was very influenced by. You know, he he classes the good, the bad, and the ugly as one of his ultimate favorite films ever, mm -hmm. in his mind. So. Not surprisingly, he would have used Morricone's sound, some of his soundtracks in his films. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like, you know, if you, if you didn't have the good, the bad, and the ugly, would you have got Quentin Tarantino? Would Probably you not. have had Quentin Tarantino's sort of vision and his wanting to use existing music in this way? Probably not, as you said. So I don't feel that the mission... I feel the mission is very underrated. I do... I agree that it's a beautiful piece of music in terms of its composition, in terms of its probably emotion, but I don't think it translates well to the laymen, to maybe say the millennials as much as, maybe not millennials, but I feel like, oh, oh, there you disagree? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm intrigued by this theory. I, I don't disagree. I think you're probably quite, quite accurate I, with that. I think it may be, it's a little, it's one of those pieces that because Morricone is his favorite, it's like, it's probably too good for the layman's ears. That <laughs> okay. layman's person probably won't be able to appreciate it as well as the good, the bad and the ugly. Because the good, the bad and the ugly, it can be appreciated for its comedic, for its uh, sarcasm, for its kind of like poking fun at itself, but at the same time for the simplicity and kind of like fun, great composition and the fact that you know it's i don't know uh, it's 
I just feel it's much more accessible than the mission. Okay, I, I completely agree. So I assume you're going to be going for the good, bad, and the ugly. It sounds like it, doesn't it? It does. Uh, look, all of the points you make there are entirely valid, and I, I completely agree with all of them. Um, but so this is—it's not a but. This is an and situation. Around the late '90s, early 2000s, the mission was very much seen as the pinnacle of music scores. Um, I don't think that as memorable and fun as it is, the good, the bad and the ugly was ever or will ever be seen as the greatest film score of all time. As the greatest of all time. That said, I have a very strong feeling that even now the mission is dropping out of those lists entirely as people have just forgotten that it exists. So I think it's probably had a peak which lasted for a good 15 years after it came out in the cinema and has since just drifted from people's memory. I think for Gen X maybe it was as good as it got. Um, but it's we've, we've since moved on and it's been replaced by other pieces of music. There is something about the good, the bad, and the ugly soundtrack that that I just I actually can't imagine a time when we're not thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't think it's ever going to go away. There is just something so eternal. Yeah, there's a, there's like a handful of film scores that just have that quality. There is the ripping violins of Psycho. There is the Jaws theme. There mm -hmm. is that theme. There's probably like the Star Wars fanfare and possibly even the Raiders of the Lost Ark theme um, where there's just, there's just something about them that... It's timeless. Yeah, and it just screams cinema. Right, and like also you just identity. hear it and you can't. Yeah, it's so strong, but then it's so unique that it kind of it has to be that film or de or deliberately referencing or mocking that mm. film and that film sound. I feel I know what you mean because I almost feel like if you try and parody the mission, you would almost be like par like mocking your mother. It just yeah. feels like you, <laughs> as in like you'll just be like, or oh, you're mocking your grandma. Like, yeah. it just feels like, it doesn't feel like you could pick, you know, make fun no. of something. It just feels a little bit too precious, a little bit too serious, I think. Yeah, so its legacy is um, introducing a few new sounds and style into cinema, which I think were absorbed, like the tension sounds, which I think you do hear a lot in Goldsmith and James Horner after that, and which have probably now been just quietly incorporated into scores in ways that we don't even know now just because it's just it's just filtered in because he it's very beautiful cinematic writing i uh, certainly in in the 80s where we had a lot of very simple very synthy soundtracks uh, and i know like i don't mean any disrespect to the electronic soundtracks there's also a lot of amazing stuff there but there was something about the mission which was uh, very much standing against that and being like, no, music, film music can also be beautiful. It is worth continuing to spend money on orchestras and unusual instruments and professional instrumentalists and stuff. Like it helped keep that idea alive at a time when 
it was just so much cheaper to go electronic and a lot of scores were doing that even for quite serious films um so it has a real place there and i i suspect it has a huge role in the return of the symphonic score in the 90s from people like horner and jerry goldsmith where they were able to do that sort of thing again whereas the good the bad and the ugly it defined westerns like there's basically there are westerns before this sound and there are westerns after this sound like it is the clear defining moment there and now i mean earlier this year i was playing um, a game red dead Revenge, redemption 2 which came out a couple of years ago and like it is filled with this sound like that is the sound of the modern western um it's 70 years old now but that is what a western sounds like we can't think of a western and not think of that i think i think this is the tie i think yeah the mission it 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 makes us want to be better you're doing a strategic thing i'm really not um it all of these choices have been so close i could easily in a different mood have gone the other way on every single one of these votes I'll be honest, which is to say maybe the good, the bad, and the ugly is the better score. Um, but then you actually hear the music of the mission and you go, well, it, was, it wasn't as good a movie. There's a lot more flaws in it as a movie. But damn, the music's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't split them. Okay. Fine. Well, I'm fine. <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's a bit of a um, a bit oh, of it's, a it's still a triumph. It is. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Morricone. I think all our listeners would be happy either way. Um, the fact I that I think so. You know, the fact that both of them have got recognised, both of them got a good sort of like a dissection from both of us about what works, what doesn't work, and that at the end of it, both of them are the winners. Wow. Well, I mean, that actually wasn't how I expected that to go. Um, really? I, I, in some ways, I had an inkling. Like, I, I felt like you, I almost had an inkling the way we were talking that I seem to be very team good, the good, the bad and the ugly. And you seem to be very team the mission. Yeah, I guess it might just come down to which one was more influential on us sooner. Mm. And that maybe the because they're so both so strong that the weight of it gets you. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Speaking of old movies, it is coming up to October where we like to do a Halloween episode. My favourite season of the year. Uh, yes. I I'm I'm really hoping you get to have a good Halloween this year. I feel like it could be a very different Halloween to normal. I'm still going to be like watching horror movies and kind of... I guess the staying home watching horror movies is all we'll stay. Yeah, it's kind of it's still. I mean, hey, well, I'm gonna, like I'm going to go trick or treating at this yeah. age. <laughs> I mean, we have outgrown that, I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can. I'll still dress up. I always love dressing up. It's just it'll be a shame of not being able to go out somewhere. But yeah, you never know. I mean, I'll find a way. I might just dress <laughs> up and and just start stalks walking around the empty streets and just scaring people or just oh, yeah, that'd be going epic. up to the windows and just like tapping tapping on the window I like people it. out <laughs> I like I it 
But yes, you were saying, so what are the two soundtracks that we're going to be dissecting and talking about next month? Yeah, so we have done some very modern films for Halloween. We are now going to go the exact opposite. I feel like we're really hitting the classics this season three. Yeah, um, well, you know, we had to like change things up a little bit, you know. It's, yeah. It makes every season different in some ways. So we're going to go back to some very early monster movie films but pretty much as early as you can go and still get a score which is like distinctly of the movie and isn't like a you know bunch of sheet music for people to play to a silent movie these are kind of like some of the earliest things so we've got we're going back to the 30s and we're going to do max steiner's score for king kong from 1933 and then Franz Waxman's score for The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. This was your idea. Are you excited? Yeah, I am very excited, actually. Why not? I mean, yeah. I, I've, again, it's one of those two films that I heard so much about, was covered a lot in media studies, and watched so many documentaries about. So, again, it would be nice to watch them from start to finish and actually trying and uh, appreciate them i guess I'm, I'm looking i'm hoping i'm going to be scared although i feel like maybe my tolerance to fear is, uh, is, good, is good. yeah i think we're probably past the level of what they were trying to make scary um i think i think we'll be okay but look i mean who knows it's a wild time i'm personally excited to talk about them because steiner and waxman are they're two of the really important composers in establishing what film music sounds like, because obviously they're right back at the beginning of serious film music. So they're composers that one way or another, we've probably mentioned them like a dozen times each over the course of the episode. So it's good to actually get to do one of their scores properly to really talk about them. So then we've kind of done it and we can refer back to it. So I'm actually really excited to be able to like properly dig into to their scores because they're such titans as it were absolutely the pioneers of horror music they are so until next month enjoy the the, ce the honorable celebrations of Inno Morricone yes um, so go and listen to as much as many of his soundtracks as possible oh please do you know swarm yourself just in envelop yourself as much as possible into it because you know it's you never know what might come out and how it makes you feel i guess absolutely and we will see you on the other side of what i hope will be many many lovely scary movies that you watch through october and we will talk to you then until then goodbye Bye.